We've been, for the last five weeks in this series in Philippians called Becoming. And we're really talking about how Paul has been encouraging the church in Philippi to keep pressing through, even through struggles, even through circumstances that seem impossible, because God is always at work, and God is changing them and making them into who He wants them to be. We're all becoming something. Let me give you a quick just spiritual truth, and this is a truth that transcends not only spiritual matters, but physical matters, uh, emotional matters. Life is not static. Life is always moving. When it comes to your spiritual journey and your walk with Christ, you're in two different states. You're either becoming more like Jesus, you're growing in faith, because it's not static. Faith, uh, your faith walk is not a static uh, situation where you just stay in one place. You're either working and God is working with you and you're working with God to become the person that He's making you to be so you're growing more in faith, you're becoming stronger in your walk or you're getting weaker in your walk and you're falling away. There's just two conditions. You're either one or the other. So in this series we've been talking about the idea of becoming. You're either becoming more like Christ or you're becoming less like Christ. In life, it's not static as well. You're either growing as a person, growing physically, stronger, mentally, emotionally, or you're regressing. Because life doesn't stand still. Life is always moving. And through this series, we've been talking about the idea of who are we? Who am I, God? What am I becoming? And God, who are you? And what are you doing? And what we've been learning is that God is always Working. We learned that in the Philippians chapter 1 where we saw Paul say that I'm confident that God who began the good work in you will complete it even unto the day of Christ's return, right? So God is always working at you. He's always working on your heart. He works in the middle of your struggles. And Paul mentions how even while he was in chains, the gospel was being preached. So even through our struggles, not our agenda, but God's agenda comes through. He works in our attitude. And Paul talked about being selfless and not doing things just for yourself, selfish ambition, but to consider others. So he works in our attitude. He works in our obedience. And we learned how Christ emptied himself of his godliness, having it something that he didn't need to hold on to. He was obedient even unto the cross. And God calls us to also do that, right? The kenosis, the emptying out of our agenda of ourselves so that we could become more like him. And then last week we learned that God is always at work in our joy, in our relationship with Him. That it's not religion. That you can't earn your way into right standing with God. That you cannot be good enough. There's not great enough works that you could complete. But it's our relationship and what Christ has already done for us that helps us, empower us to become the people that He's making us to be. And today we wrap up this series by looking at hope. The fact that God's work makes us become more like Him, helps shape us, should give us hope. And this hope helps us navigate life because how many know life is fickle? There's joy, there's sorrow, right, in life? And we often put the two ideas against each other. Joy is when you're happy, when you're excited, when things are going well for you. You feel like you're on cloud nine, you're on top. It's a mountaintop experience. You feel closer to God. But then there's the valleys, right? The dark seasons where you feel disconnected, you feel isolated, we feel sad. And oftentimes in life we put these two ideas of joy and sorrow 
against one another, like they can't coexist. But how many know that life moves quick? And you could go from joy to sorrow real fast. Or you could go from sorrow to joy real fast. You guys know I'm a big bear fan. And just this past uh, January, the Bears had their first playoff game in quite a few years. It didn't feel like a playoff game considering the season they had. But in this game, there was one particular play where if you were like me, you went from jumping off your couch in celebration, hands in the air, because that's, that's kind of what I do when I watch Bears game. Anyone else do that? Right? My wife always tells me, you're not playing in the game. You're not one of the players. They don't pay you. Right? Maybe you've been told that before. But you're getting excited. It's your team. You want to see them do well. And in this game, there was one play, I'll show you the video in a second, where you just saw it develop and you just said, oh, this is it. This is going to be a touchdown. What a pretty play. And then it went from joy to sorrow real quick. Watch this. I literally saw the ball. I was following with my eyes. Me and my son were gluttons for punishment. We're Bears fans. And the ball was traveling, and you saw the receiver wide open, and we were already in our celebratory mode. And then you saw it. The ball goes right through this elite athlete who gets paid millions of dollars to catch a ball. And it goes right through his hands. And life went from joy to sorrow in a flash. And life is like that, isn't it? You think you've nailed that job interview and you think it's yours and you get the call that you didn't get it. Life goes from joy to sorrow real fast. You think you found the one. This is the one. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. I mean, it's God-ordained. I feel it all in my stomach. And then the breakup happens. You think you aced that test. This is the promotion that you've studied for. You prepared your life for this. You think you've aced it. You're waiting on the positive results for the promotion exam. And then you get the terrible news that you missed it by this much. You succeed at some things. You celebrate. And there's other moments of failure. And how do we walk this really fine line in life of dealing with you know, utter joy and celebration in those moments of sorrow and darkness where we feel like life is falling apart. How do we deal with that? How do we navigate those seasons? You know, it's easy when things are going great to look at a brother and sister in this type of gathering and say, man, brother, let me tell you something. God is good. I got the promotion. I found the one. I just got engaged. Man, I got the job. The results came back and I did it. I succeeded. It's easy to sit, look at someone and say, God is good, brother. God is good, sister. But it's not so easy when you feel like you failed. When you feel like things haven't moved your way. And sometimes we say it with tears in our eyes and we say, God is good. We think that joy and sorrow can't coexist, but I love what 
the theologian, pastor, author, professor, Henry Nguyen, he says this about joy. Look at this quote. He says, joy is not the same as happiness. We can be unhappy about many things, but joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. Happiness is circumstantial, but joy comes from knowing that God loves you. We are inclined to think that when we are sad, like when the bear player dropped the ball, we cannot be glad. But in the life of a God-centered person, sorrow and joy can coexist together. And Paul is the living example of this. Remember where he's writing this letter from. He's sitting in a jail, tied, literally tied to a Roman jailer. He knows his execution could happen at any moment. He knows his life is just about over. He's not going to walk out of this jail a free man once again. But yet this letter is so full of joy, so full of hope. Why? Because hope and joy can coexist. You could deal with life. You could walk that fine line of whatever life throws at you. How? Knowing this, that God loves you. That His work on the the cross has completed you. And that you can rejoice. The verb form of joy, right? You could express joy. Why? Because it's rooted in hope. You see, Paul, in his earlier letters, was a teacher, just a master class teacher on hope. Just look through the letter of Paul to the Romans and look what Romans says about hope and how Paul expresses this and teaches this. This is a man who was rejoicing in this sadness, rejoicing in this prison season, rejoicing in his soon death. Why? Because everything was built on this hope. Look at Romans 5.5. 5. It says, hope will not lead to disappointment. He's talking about the hope we have in Jesus. Hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know, again, what? God dearly loves us. Fast forward to Romans 8. It says, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. You don't hope in things you can see. You have them. For who hopes for what, is, what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with what? With patience, because we know God is faithful to provide. Jump ahead to Romans 15. It's talking about how the Word, and the Word brings us hope. The Scriptures give us what? Hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Then Paul puts the exclamation point on hope in chapter 15, where he says, I pray that God, what is God? The source of what? Hope. When you have God, you have what? Hope. And if you have hope, you have life. You have something. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. There you see the two ingredients of hope. Joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then, then, with this hope that comes from God, then you will overflow with what kind of hope? Confident hope. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, Paul re-emphasizing his point in Philippians that it's not your strength, it's not your power, it's not your ability, it's God at work at you and who you're becoming that allows you to have this hope, to have this peace, to have this joy. You see, our ability to hope 
circumstantial. We worry too much about circumstances. We look at the here and now, and if we can't see the little light at the end of the tunnel, we become hopeless. But the hope that Paul's talking about is is the foundation that doesn't matter on circumstances, doesn't matter what life's throwing at you. It's what carries us through seasons of sorrow or joy. So the question I have to you today is, how can you persevere in the Lord during these times of anxiety, times of difficulty, times of challenging That's my question to you. How can you persevere? How can you push through? And here's my answer. The hope of Jesus. So here's a very simple summary of what we're going to be going through today. God, big idea. God is always working. God's redeeming work for us on the cross has given, past tense, it's already there for you, has given us hope This hope brings peace. This hope transforms us from the inside out. And this hope provides the strength that we need to persevere and push through any season of life that we're going through. That's it. God is always working. His work on the cross is complete. It's giving you this hope. Paul calls it a confident hope. And today I'm going to I'm going to break down what a confident hope looks like into three smaller buckets of hope that I believe Paul is teaching us here through the book of Philippians. So beginning in verse 4, let's look at verse 4. We're going to go down to verse 13. And we're talking about a hope. A hope that, that allows you to persevere through life no matter what comes your way. In verse 4, Paul says, Always be full of the joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Man, that's good stuff. Paul is talking about here is a joyful hope and this, a joyful hope that brings peace. It's a hope that's, that's rooted in joy. And when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, he's not saying it like it's an option. This is a command. It's an imperative. Paul is saying, you must rejoice in the Lord. And it's this joy-filled hope that calls us out of our anxieties and calls us into Christ. You see that he says there in verse 5, he says, always be full of joy, what? In the Lord. You're not going to always be full of joy in your job. You're not going to always be full of joy in your relationship with your wife or your husband. You're not going to be always full of joy in your relationship with your children or with your teachers or in your classes, with your friends with society, with politics. He doesn't say rejoice in circumstances. He says rejoice in the Lord. A a more accurate translation here, N.T. Wright, who's one of my favorite theologians, he, he translates this to say, celebrate joyfully in the Lord. All the time, I say it again, celebrate. 
What, what, what Paul is saying there is, is he's saying rejoice in the Lord. In other words, celebrate what God is doing. That if you're alive, God is working on you. Remember, life is never static. You're never just standing still. God is always working. So you celebrate joyfully the work that God is doing in your life. Let other people see it. Share it with others. Let be, be a light for others to see what God is doing in your life. He's saying celebrate, recognize what God is doing, and show it for others to see. You know, he says there, let other people see that you're considerate in all that you do. In other words, man, share your life with others. And if you're struggling, if you're in a season of sorrow, right, you just dropped the ball, wide open pass, I mean, you thought you were going to slam dunk whatever season in life you were in, but you dropped the ball. You go and you celebrate God. And you rejoice and say, Lord, you're working on me, even though I dropped the ball. And let other people see that. There's nothing more encouraging than people seeing you in your weakness. Because in your weakness, His presence and His power is made known and is made strong in your life. That empowers people. So Paul gives one command here. He says rejoice, but then he gives another command. And this one is not so easy. He says don't worry about anything. Yeah, okay Paul. You obviously didn't live in 2020. You obviously just didn't go through this last election season that we went through. You obviously weren't alive during a pandemic. You obviously weren't alive when about 30 million people lost their job. You weren't obviously alive where you saw racial tension and racial situations and social injustice issues you know, lead to all this madness. You obviously weren't alive. That's easier said than done, Paul. I mean, it seems impossible, right? Don't worry about anything. Again, this is not... An option. This is an imperative. Paul is saying, look, don't worry about anything. Now, I want to make one thing clear. Paul is not calling you to deny your worries. He's not saying, look, hide your anxieties. He's not telling you, you know, suppress and stuff and push down the things that are, that are making you anxious. Don't let them sprout up. Paul is not calling us to suppress or hide or deny anything that we feel. But he, what he is saying is, look, you could rejoice even through those anxieties. Because your hope is in Christ. And a joyful hope brings what? Peace. So we could rejoice now. The author and theologian Tish Harrison Warren says, to risk hope. For you to go out there and say, look, I'm feeling these emotions. I'm feeling anxious. I have fear or I'm afraid. I'm dealing with certain things. But I'm going to choose to be joyful in that. You better have hope. She says this, and I love this. Hope is the opposite of anxiety. What is it? The opposite extreme of anxiety? It's hope. And it's a joyful hope. It's a hope that's rooted in the joy of Christ that helps us push through our anxieties. Because anxiety will always war against hope. Anxiety tries to suppress hope. Banish it. Says we can't coexist here. But if you have hope, hope perseveres through anxiety. But if you allow anxiety, worry, as Paul calls it here, it could zap your hope. And you become this person who's just weighted with everything. Because let's be honest, we all carry anxieties, don't we? There's things that we are overwhelmed with. Your finances. Your responsibilities, 
your work, your kids, your schoolwork, getting into college, passing algebra, failing at something, having to perform for others and feel like you've got to live up to this standard. There's political anxieties. There's societal anxieties. And what we become, we become people who focus too much on our temporal situation and we lose our hope, we become like this picture. And you become a person who's just weighed down with all these rocks on your back. And listen, you cannot carry all this on your own. You weren't built, you weren't designed, and God did not make you to carry all this worry and all these weights of these different things. I mean, one rock could be your finances, another one your relationships, another one your health, another one the pandemic. I mean, you become like this person. And if you look at this person, their head is down. They're not allowed to look up. They have no vision. They can't perceive God at work in their life because they feel overweighted. They feel burdened. They feel feel completely overwhelmed. And there's no hope in this person. It's just, man, give me strength to take another step. Have you ever been there? But there is a way to break free of this. Paul gives us the calculus. He says, turn to God. He says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. He's saying there's a way to break this cycle, and it's turning to God. God is the one who removes the burden off your back. He takes it on himself. Paul says, pray about everything. Praying is that time being in God's presence, communicating to Him, going before Him and saying, look at me, I'm overwhelmed. It's reliance on God. There's people who try to live like this. You're burdened, you're overwhelmed, you can't look up, your back is bent. You can't go anywhere if your back is bent. But going to God and saying, God, I'm relying on you, you pray to Him. Then Paul says, tell Him what you need. Other translations say in supplication, supplicate to him, right? Beg him, let him know that your strength is weak and that you need him in your life. You see, when we're so self-reliant is when we fail. But when we say, God, I need you, I cannot make this on my own. I can't carry these rocks. I was not built for this. I was not meant for this. I need your help. I need your provision and I need your direction. God answers So Paul says, turn to God, pray about everything, tell him what you need, and then give him what? thanks. Turning to God in thankfulness. There's a joyful hope that comes when you understand that you are talking, that you are having a conversation with the God who created the universe. That's a joy. You you, you ever have something break in your house? And you know a guy? What do you do? Oh, man, the, the water heater went down. Well, I know a guy. What do you do to the guy? You get on the phone. You call the guy. You tell the guy what you need. The guy says, hey, I get off work at 6 o'clock. I'll be right over. You say what? Thanks. You hang up the phone. You feel so much better. Why? You spoke to the guy. Has anyone ever done this? There's only me brakes go out i know a guy right the plumbing got issues with the plumbing the electric hey i got a guy no problem i'm gonna call him up i'm gonna let him know what i need i'm gonna say thanks i'll see you later and paul is saying do you know that when your life looks like this you know a guy 
And he's just not any guy. And listen, you don't have to wait till he gets off work at 7 o'clock or picks up, you know, the lamb chops for his wife. You know the creator of heaven and earth. And you could go to him. And you could say, this is what I need. And when you're done talking to him, you could say, thanks. I'll see you in a bit because I know you're going to show up because you're God. I mean, come on. That's how, you, that's how you break out of this. You call someone, you know a guy. He's just not any guy. This is, and, and, and knowing that you have this connection is what Paul talks about. That's God's peace. That's the peace that blows your mind because it, it's not a humanly peace, right? A humanly peace, you've got to call the guy, you've got to hope he answers, you know, hopefully he's got time for you. Then you've got to hope that he knows how to fix the issue and then that he's going to come and actually follow through with it. I mean, that's too much red tape. This is a peace that says, look, I, 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 I talk to him, I let him know what I need, and I say thanks, and he's going to do it. Point blank. That's God's peace. And this is the joy that Paul is saying. This is the hope that's joyful. Because, man, it brings peace in your life. And, and, and Tish Warren says this. She says, to hope, it's not a naive optimism. It's not like, oh, I hope things go well. You know, hope admits the truth in our vulnerability. That's why you've got to supplicate to God. You've got to tell Him exactly what you're going through, exactly what you need. It says it does not trust God to keep all bad things from happening. We know that's not realistic. But it assumes that redemption, that beauty, and that goodness will be there whatever lies ahead. Just like you know your guy's going to come and fix the refrigerator. That guy can't stop the refrigerator from going out again. But you know he's going to come and he's going to take care of it. There's a beauty, there's a peace, there's a hope, that trust that says, God, you're going to take care of it no matter what. That there's redemption. There's beauty, and there's something good ahead for me. And that's what, what's on Paul's heart, because he knows he's going to his death. It's not being oblivious. It's being aware of what you need, and being aware of who God is, and knowing that you have God in your life. And that's the reason why Paul says, celebrate. Celebrate that. That's good. You see, anxiety and worry are about all these hypothetical situations, the what could happens, but hope is in knowing and believing in God and experiencing His peace. Let's keep moving on. In verse 8, Paul says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure and lovely and admirable. That's quite a list. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. This is an active hope. You see Paul telling his church there, keep practicing this. Look, you're, you're going to learn by doing. Hope is not static. You've got you to practice hope. You've got to trust hope. You've got to have hope. So he says, look, fix your thoughts, right? Fix your thoughts. And this act of hope transforms us from the inside out. And it transforms your mind, your thinking, and it transforms the way you live and what you do. Paul keeps coming back all throughout Philippians to this idea of the mind. 
In chapter 2, he tells us to be of one mind, the same mind of Christ. In chapter 3, he says, hey, when I used to feel like I needed to work for my acceptance with Christ, he said, I used to think that way. I don't think that way anymore because I know that Christ's work completes me. I'm completed in Christ. I used to think that way. I don't think that way anymore. Remember, he says, those things were once valuable to me. Now I consider them trash, garbage, right, to the superior ability of knowing Jesus. Paul keeps coming back to the mind. Why the mind? Why the mind? Because the mind is important. Classic verse in the old King James. As a man thinks, so is he. And broken thoughts, you know, an issue for many people is their thoughts are broken. Everything's negative. Everything's pessimistic. Everything is dark. And everything is hopeless. And Paul is saying, look, if you've got a problem with your mind, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what? These six virtues that he says. Things that are true, honorable, pure, right, lovely, admirable, worthy of praise. So fix your thoughts on these things. This is an act of hope. Then he tells the church to practice this. Keep it going. Put it into practice. The Greek word for practice there is prazo, which means doing it. Having an active hope, a hope that's active, that's, that's living, that's alive in you every single day. And we need to practice this hope because how many know that life is a battle? Every single day is an opportunity for the enemy to snipe at your hope, to mess with your mind. And if you're not practicing this, if, you're, if your hope is not active, your mind cannot be renewed Paul is not just saying, look, think happy thoughts, be positive. No, he's saying, look, you need to fix your thoughts on the things of Christ. And this active hope will guard your mind and guard God's peace. And it will affect the things you do. Now again, you've got to think, where was Paul as he was writing this? Paul is acting like the trainer right now. Have you ever been to the gym? And I always laugh when I see trainers, they're, they're training people like one-on-one. And the person there is like struggling on a machine. And the trainer's like scrolling their text messages. Yeah, yeah, just do, do, do five more. You know, they sip their coffee. Yeah, all right, then they'll bend like this. You know, it's kind of like this picture here, right? You see the person there dying on this machine. And the trainer's like not even paying attention. It's like, you just, just, just do what I say. But I'm not going to really, you know, do, do what you're saying. Paul's not doing that. Paul is the example. Paul is the trainer that's actually showing you how to live this out. Why? Because he's living in this situation. This is a brother, again, who's in a jail. He's tied to a guard. He's got no privacy. If he needs to use the bathroom, the guard is going to be right there next to him. He's in a pit. Knows he's going to die soon. And what's he doing every single moment that he can? He's putting into practice what he taught these people. He's saying, look, I taught you how to fix your thoughts. If the problem is with your mind, fix your mind. Fix your thoughts. What is true, what is pure, what is lovely, what is right, what is worthy of praise. Part of the reason why people stay stuck is because they like to listen to the instructions from the trainer but they don't do the instructions of the trainer. So we hear it, we listen to it, but we don't practice it. And we stay stuck because we know what to do, just like a trainer could tell you, I I know how to do the maneuver, but if I don't practice it, if I don't put it into part of my daily life, 
it's not going to benefit me. I'm not going to ever apply it to anything. So I'll never be what the trainer is trying to make me be. And for some of you, God has been trying to fix your thoughts for the longest time. And you know to think on what is true, what is lovely, what is pure, what is right, what is worthy of praise. But you failed to apply it, so you'll never be it. Because again, Paul is not saying just think happy thoughts. Because these thoughts that you think, eventually, they go from your head to your heart to your what? To your hands. And you start doing what is right. You start doing what is true. You start doing what is lovely. You start doing what is worthy of praise. Because it always goes head, heart, hands. But for some of you, it's entered your head. But something getting stuck here. Because once it's in the heart, it's going to go to the hands. And you'll never be what God has intended you to become unless you have this active hope. A hope that you're practicing. A hope that's alive in you. Pastor Rich Viotas said this, any doing on our part will be only as deep as our being. I love that. To do without being might look the same to the outsiders. So some people could fake it. You could say the prayers. You could say the slogans. You could put Caleb on your car. You could put the bumper stickers on your ride. You could know all the catchphrases. To do without being might look the same to an outsider. But the quality of our lives is drastically different. You know when you're faking it. You can fake it to the world, but when you go home and you're before God, He knows the truth. To do without being disconnects our activity from the source of life and love. God's life and love. So when we, when we try to be without, we try to do without being, it's fake. It's religion. And it disconnects you from the real source of the quality of our life, which is God's love. Let's wrap this up. We've talked about a joyful hope that brings peace, and we've talked about an active hope that transforms us, that transforms us inside our minds and out our actions. Let's wrap this up. In verse 10, Paul says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. There's a joyful hope. There's an active hope. Then there's a content hope. A hope that says, this is all I need. And that hope that says, all I need, this is all I need, is the hope that brings perseverance. Is the hope that helps you push through when you drop the ball. When you don't get the job. Through the breakup. When you get the bad news from the doctor. It's this content hope that, Christ, I have you, and that's all that matters. I'm fully sufficient. That's all I need to push through. Paul says there, give thanks for God's provision, not only in the good seasons, not only in the seasons where you have everything, where your stomach is full, but in every circumstance. 
You know why hope is elusive? You know why hope is so difficult? Because it's hard following Jesus. It's like the closer I get to Christ, the harder it's becoming. To forgive the people that have wronged you, that's hard. To discipline your flesh to where you don't run to satisfy its every need, its every call to you, that's hard. To get up and to pray and to read your Bible and to be disciplined in, your, in, in, in connecting with God, it's difficult. It's not easy. To hold your tongue and not last shout at people who criticize you, who name call you, who bash you, that's not easy. This is why hope is elusive because the invitation that Jesus gives to us is not come follow me and I'll make everything great. The invitation that Christ gives to us is, come follow me, pick up your cross, and let's go. Pick up your cross. Bearing the cross is not easy. That's why hope escapes us sometimes. Because at times, it becomes hopeless. I've been there. At times, it seems impossible. But it's usually in those moments where God is teaching us Are you content in Christ? Is He everything you need? If He is truly everything that you need, then the whole world could be falling apart. And you'll persevere. Why? Because you know the secret. I love that. Paul says, I've learned the secret. There's something mysterious about secrets, right? Usually we learn this when we're little. When you're at school or your cousins at a birthday party, you know, a cousin will come and say, oh, I've got a secret. Do you want to know the secret? Have you ever said no to wanting to know a secret? It's always like, yeah, tell me. I want to know the secret. I want to be on the inside. I want to be in the know. If there's one thing that really irks people is when they feel like they're on the outside looking in, isn't it? Because we love to control. And Paul says, look, I've learned the secret and I'm telling you what it is. He makes it open for the whole world to see. He says the secret to living life, content, right? No matter whether my stomach is full or whether I'm in hunger or whether I'm living in abundance or I'm living in need or whether things are looking up or things are looking down, No matter what the situation, the secret to a life lived with joy, with purpose, with meaning, with value, is to be content in the hope of the cross. It's simply that. Now for many people, that'll seem like such a letdown. Don't go out and share, look, I found a secret to life. What's the secret to life? I want to know. They're going to become like the kid again. You try telling them, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. They're going to be like, oh, back to my horoscope. Right? It's a secret. It seems like such a letdown, but it's something so simple because this is a hope that's content in the sufficiency of Christ in your life. And when you have that, when you have Jesus, look, I could lose everything. Right? Like Job said, though you slay me, Yet I will praise you. 
the secret is being content in the hope of the cross. And then this leads us to one of the most misused, misquoted scriptures everywhere. It's on athletes' shoes. It's on the walls of gyms. It's in the athletes' little eye things underneath their eye black, right? It's on posters. It's on billboards. It's all over the place. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, Super Bowl! I bet you that guy who dropped the ball was not saying, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, victory! We love throwing that scripture around when things go well. And it's this fake kind of humility. Well, how did you do it? Well, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'd like to thank my sponsors, Gatorade, Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola. Give me my millions and my Super Bowl trophy. Thank you very much. Victory! This is not what the Scripture is saying. This is what the Scripture is saying is, look, when I'm in prison, and I, know, and I know I'm about to die, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hey, when my wife walks out on me, and my family disowns me, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hey, when my friends reject me at school because I want to pray, and they don't think prayer is cool, It's not accepted. It's not hip. That's okay because I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When your family disowns you because you're coming to a Christian church, and hey, that's just the cult, and why are you dealing with that stuff? And they're just going to lead you astray. And I bet you they ask for money, right? They ask for money every Sunday, right? I knew it. See, that's what they want. They just want your money. You see, watch this YouTube video. When you have to deal with that whole conversation and deal with that whole thing, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The the more accurate translation for that scripture is I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Because it's not my strength. It's Christ's strength. And this is not just talking about when you win, when you catch the ball, when you spike the ball, when you slam dunk the business meeting, the proposal. When you win the prize. No, this is when you are rejected, when you're abandoned, when you're hanging on the cross and Christ looks up and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Jesus kneeling in the garden saying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But if it be your will, This scripture is so twisted, it's so convoluted, it's used in such horrible ways. But what Paul is saying is, look, look at me, look at my life, but yet my hope is content. My life has meaning, my life has purpose. And I could persevere through this season of being in prison because Jesus is all I need. Pastor Matt Chandler says this about Philippians 4.13. He says, it's not about chasing your dreams, following your passion, pulling up yourselves by your bootstraps, accomplishing anything you want with God's help. It is instead a testimony of those who have Christ and have found Him supremely valuable, joyous, and satisfying. In life constantly marked by these extremes of highs and lows, Paul has found the great constant security, right? The secret. The great centering hope. What is the secret? Jesus Christ Himself. There's a hope 
that's joyful. Regardless of your circumstance, there's a hope that's active that wants to change you from the inside out. And there's a hope that's content that brings you life when God works in you. Can we stand together? I want to invite the worship team to join me. There is a hope that is available to you today. If you're here, or maybe you're watching online, you feel hopeless. There's a hope that's waiting for you. A hope that only comes in knowing Jesus. When you understand that Jesus, the Son of God, came down to earth, lived in this world, died the death that you and I were supposed to die, and that He died that death to bear our sin. And because of that death, now we can be forgiven. And because we are forgiven, now our minds can be transformed and our thoughts can be fixed on Christ's beauty and your life can be transformed from the inside out by living for Him and seeing His work be done in you and becoming the person that He wants you to be. Then you could rest in this hope like Paul rested in this hope in this Roman jail. I don't know about you, but that's worthy of celebration. Paul says rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice. Celebrate that you're becoming like Jesus. You're either becoming more like Him or you're becoming less like Him. Which one will you be today?